Jumping in on the episode as we kind of move away from the preamble. uh, (laughs) The relics of our past. We're just probably, yeah, going to discard for the most part. I I think I'm just going to end this screen share. So we've been talking Uh, about, you know, the change of seasons, of course. What uh, could be more standard fare for uh, times such as this. Uh, So, you know, we'll spare the the listener much of that and then you know some of these uh zany uh, web cartoons that we're talking about so maybe there'll be a topic for another day uh but uh, today definitely want to stay more on topic with uh something that's i guess uh, in keeping with some of the more recent episodes that we've been doing on the Thodcast, conversations about animation. Uh, so I'm your host, Philip Elke, once again, joined by Jody Plasky. I'm up here in northern Minnesota, and Jody, you're down. It's still uh, kind of the uh, feeling like the dog days of summer in yes, sir. Georgia, yes. I guess. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we've had some warm weather here, but it looks like um, I was checking the forecast is uh like a high of 64 tomorrow so just kind of turning around uh getting a taste of that brisk autumn air and certainly seeing the the signage and products on display i don't know i'm sure like Walt disney world that's what do, do they start rolling out the oh honey they've been selling halloween for the past like six months it's <laughs> it's definitely fall yeah. In Florida, or at least at theme parks, it they celebrate these holidays for like probably two months prior. They throw like little private, not private parties, but ticketed events based around the season. And it's a huge hit. It still feels really early for me, but I'm a fall person. So I'm not gonna, I'm not yeah. gonna like be mad about it. Let's, let's enjoy it for all it's worth, I guess. Of course, they don't do the overlay for Haunted Mansion in uh florida that's just a disneyland thing the nightmare yes. Christmas. i think they're doing something special because a haunted mansion some type of live action movie came out recently i haven't seen yet but they are sort of celebrating that um ride right now which which falls into the fall season the spooky season but also that that movie came out recently oh we're damaging our disney cred not having seen haunted mansion the reviews aren't good. The reviews aren't good from what I've heard, but well, I would be the, proud to see it because I love the ride. Yeah, it seems to have been pretty anonymous at the box office, too. I did not see it. It was only it only hung around for maybe uh, two weeks, like the legal minimum that the, the theaters can have it in the and the allotted time if you weren't barbie or oppenheimer you really kind of like had to push to get your movie out there these past months or so Mm -hmm. i hadn't seen a lot of advertising for asteroid city either i'd seen maybe two or three things pop up about it but i was curious about it because visually they're so stylistic so i'm I'm happy we're going to talk about it but yeah i don't think a lot of movies haven't been promoted i feel like lately asteroid city 
definitely got a limited release compared to most major studio films it was released by Universal Studios um let's see and uh oh, it has a international gross of over 50 million dollars uh I don't know if there's a okay the distributor okay focus features that must be owned by universal though because it had both logos at the top um so much more of an indie style film i mean wes anderson he's an indie filmmaker but um you know it's very well established kind of a household name nowadays um so yeah it'd be fun to dive a little bit into this heavily stylistic and you know kind of cartoonish in a way it is and it follows in with the uh the theme of like as existential films set in a desert commune as i mentioned on a previous episode <laughs> the trilogy as it mm-hmm. were um we're, we're rounding out the trilogy uh appropriately uh, i thought it'd be fun to to talk about this it just dropped on peacock um so yeah jody you you saw it recently i i kind of had to watch it twice just to remember a lot of things that happened so i just had it on in the background today so happy yeah <laughs> to I, refresh. I paid for it on amazon prime and i just watched it today but i had to stop like 10 minutes in and listen to a short like review of it and then start it over again because i instantly knew that this is probably a movie i'd have to watch twice and i didn't have time so i kind of wanted to know what i was going into before i went into it because I mean, his movies always seem to sort of not, I don't know if the words like overwhelm or underwhelm, but they're very abstract sometimes. And I knew this one was going to be like that. And so I'm happy I had a little guide to what I was about to see. Cause I know we, we did Isle of Dogs, which that one was fine, yeah. but I like the ground Budapest hotel, a lot of his movies, like, I feel like they go over my head. So, so yeah, I saw it today. Um, I started it last night and I watched it on Amazon Prime, so I didn't really get the real movie theater experience, but we have a big enough TV, so it works. This one finally made its way to our local cinema within the past couple of weeks, so I did see it here in theaters. Fun to, you know, take in the full experience. Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful, a beautiful movie to watch. I feel like every scene was a postcard, so mm-hmm. I would have enjoyed watching this in theaters. Um even if narratively I thought it was like a lot, like to see it, its beauty on the screen would have been great. Says it had a budget of around 25 million. Yeah, Wes Anderson, of course, a cottage industry unto himself. Um, previous films, Isle of Dogs, um, even more recently was The French Dispatch, which I never saw. Um, you know, the Grand Budapest Hotel was a, a big movie of his uh, a number of years ago. What is what's his most famous movie? Probably, uh, well, he did Fantastic Mr. Fox. The Royal Tenenbaums, I think, was a major breakout hit for him. Um, kind of putting on the on the more mainstream landscape. And uh, let's see, Moonrise Kingdom, I think, got a lot oh, of yeah. buzz as well. Yeah. So we haven't talked about Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, uh, stop motion animated film. So it'd be appropriate for this show. 
Uh, this movie does contain a bit of animation, but also just very memorable production design as well. So uh, definitely, definitely a, a visual spectacle. I don't know, did you see any like behind the scenes material for this? When I listened to the quick review about it before starting the movie in full, I know that they filmed it in Spain and that is all I remember <laughs> from behind the scenes. But obviously, I mean, you don't need to go behind the scenes to see they had a super star studded cast um, in this one. I kind of lost count of the celebrities that made their way onto the screen as I was watching it. But as far as like the making of, no, I don't know a lot. I can imagine because one of the themes is creation sort of, or like the creation of art creation, um, that it was sort of like probably for Wes Anderson, like a very therapeutic one to create because he's an artist. And this movie is about like a TV show about a play and the play, mm -hmm. like the putting on of a play and the play and a show about putting on, putting on a play, which I don't know, I, I liked it, I thought, it was a lot of levels, but I was able to keep up. Yeah, a lot of meta, uh, metaphor, meta context. Um, yeah, the similarities between this and even and like the Barbie movie, for example, another uh, metatextual film that that is in a very stylized hyper reality. Uh, even when Barbie leaves the uh, the the Barbie world. Uh, the uh, supposed real world she enters uh, still is, is a far cry from, you know, our actual diegetic reality of uh, of the viewer. So uh, in, in a similar way, you know, this uh, this film, it, it does take place in kind of a uh, theatrical setting, um, almost like uh, like you're watching a stage play. Uh, I, I kind of like, though, how the set was m much more elaborate than you could have simply on a stage. Um, you know, I, I'm glad it wasn't so confining as to simply be a filmed uh, Broadway show or something of that ilk. Yeah, and I'm really happy that they chose to differentiate the making of the play and the Asteroid City play, or I guess the Cosmic Wilderness play, by making, you know, black and white versus color. For the viewer, that was very helpful. But I agree, like, the set for the play was very, very elaborate. It was it was its world upon itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> someone was asking, does anyone know how Asteroid City can have a gigantic celebrity cast yet still have a budget of only $25 million? I feel like with Wes Anderson, because some people love him so much and they love his style and his movies that there's probably actors out there who just you know they want to be part of something like this and they see some of the other names that have been involved with his projects and that gets them excited like um Scarlett Johansson and Margot Robbie is in there briefly and I mean the list goes on and on and on you could probably read it out and it would go on yeah um the actors who only have sort of bit parts probably worked for scale that's not a very uncommon thing if an actor is really interested in the project um you know there's a a minimum amount that they're um you know obliged to be paid as members of the union and if they choose to you know accept that i mean 
it, I, it all, you know, depends on their um, management and, you know, what they come to agree upon, but. Because I don't think Steve Carell probably doesn't pick scripts primarily based off of the money that comes in. Of course that plays a factor, but there's gotta be a point in your career where you're starting to pick things that look interesting or maybe a movie filmed like this is like a four month commitment versus a two year filming commitment, you know? So. Yeah. yeah for some of these actors, it may have been fairly, um, you know, low commitment. Um, let's see Brian Cranston here on the trivia page remarked that the movie was very familial. So, uh, for however long they were on set together as a you know corporate cast, they held sort of nightly banquets. He says uh, he referred to it as um, like a dream actors camp. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's kind of like you know these actors are doing a, a workshop or a camp together, and and it's more about the experience than it is the paycheck, certainly. And there's a- they're actors that are acting as actors acting, <laughs> yes. which is cool. It is very cool. And I mean, throughout the movie, like I would kind of forget sometimes actually that, that it was a play. Do you know what I mean? Even though he had constant reminders, they were always breaking the fourth wall. They were always sort of referencing itself. But almost every time they'd go into the color or like the play world, I'd sort of forget what was happening until somehow the actors would sort of like, great character or you'd see like a narrator to the side or it'd flip back to the black and white. So mm. I thought, I thought that was really awesome because they in no way were trying to make it seem like two really separate things. They did really like flow and meld together. So that had to be fun for the performers, the actors themselves, which is weird. Cause like thinking about the actors acting as actors is just odd. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I guess main body of the film, the play portion is very sincere Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these, these characters feel like they're really um, portraying the events uh, in, in a, you know, authentic manner. They even though like it is a very stylized play, <laughs> this uh, story, you know, it's the 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 dialogue isn't naturalistic by any means, but that's kind of Wes Anderson's style. It's just delivered a very straight very plainly you know um and and yeah these actors are kind of doing their utmost to to make the sort of strange almost clipped in some ways or very sort of staccato or rapid fire this dialogue to make it seem natural in the kids when the kids speak so concisely and directly like you said very like clipped dialogue back and forth with one another it is such a weird feeling and I couldn't decide because like you said the movie deals with you know real emotional themes like loss grief things like that not just aliens and plays but um it to me it kind of takes away from like the emotional part of it because it is so weird sometimes like they'll be talking about something pretty deep and like it's a great script but the way it's delivered and the way it's like presented for me it's hard because I read some people's little reviews on like um, Rotten Tomato and some people were like, oh, I, I cried. I like teared up watching this. And I never, with his movies and movies like this, I, I find it difficult to get to that point just because it is such a bizarre mm-hmm. way yeah. of communicating their feelings, the way they speak about them, you know, even if it's genuine feelings. 
Yeah, well, you have this character, um, Augie, Steen, Augie, yeah, and he is very emotionally stunted, uh, and that is um, you made clear in his characterization. He's a, a war photographer, and what does he say? Like he, <laughs> he, uh, um, you know, he's used to being in a war zone, so he just. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess um, kind of the big cathartic scene is alluded to early on, but uh, I'm getting into some spoilery stuff here. But uh, when he burns his hand. Uh, you know, that's a moment when um, Scarlett Johansson's uh, you know, Midge is telling him to. Uh, access his feelings when they're playing a, a scene together that she's uh, practicing she's rehearsing for a job um so you use your grief <laughs> and uh you know augie's reticent or he's kind of like you know he's he's used to just to totally bottling it and but not only you know is he um, you know, someone who's seen a lot of tragedy through his career, but his wife's recently died. So, like, clearly, there's just so much going on. It it just you really see, you know, there there's the question of well, why does he just reach out and place his hand on the grill? But I feel like I would probably do the same thing if I were him in that moment. I, yeah, when he did that, I was like, is he trying to make himself feel something, you know, but I think yeah. he, his answer to that when she says, oh, he really did it. Like he, he actually did that. And I think she asks him and he doesn't know why, right? He says he doesn't know. Well, it's, it's an irrational response. Mm -hmm. Can't um, quantify it, you know, <laughs> rationally, logically, but as someone who just is so reserved and you know repressed <laughs> emotionally um it, it kind of makes perfect sense really when you think about it that way yeah throughout the whole thing that's another like theme i had thrown down it's like it seemed like uncertainty or like the lack of ability to understand was a, a big theme going on because I, I I noted that scene, but also there was a scene with the alien actor and they yeah. ask him a question and he doesn't know the meaning of his character either, but he, he's like, but we're just going to keep going. Like, I, I don't know how this goes, but we're going to, you know, keep doing it. And I thought that was like, kind of like a good lesson. Cause like the wheel just keeps on turning regardless of if you know what you're doing or not, you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, well, that I think was one of the themes that was in there was just like the uncertainty, but like the willing to continue on, sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Jason Schwartzman plays Augie Steenbeck, a character in the play, but then also portrays the actor who plays Augie in cutaway scenes, uh, you know, in the black and white format. Um, and and uh, yeah, the you see him kind of behind the scenes, the play, explaining to the director, you know, Adrian Brody, like I, yeah, I don't get my character, I don't get the play. Uh, he's just reassured, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, not only are have you become Augie, he's become you. You know, he's 
put himself in in you in a way like uh it's that that synergistic uh di uh dialectical <laughs> materialism of the performance uh when when actor becomes a character so yeah it's 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 fascinating and and not necessarily all that satisfying maybe <laughs> as a profound revelation sort of thing because it's just sort of um obvious uh, mm -hmm. i don't know yeah you you felt like maybe uh the, the way and, and maybe it's a wes anderson thing um things are maybe treated a little casually a little flippantly i i don't know if that those are the right terms but um there's a certain a certain level of detachment maybe right i was expecting to go off that more of like some type of like build or finale that would sort of tie it all together and bring it all in because i agree with you like all these things seemed kind of like casually approached but i think neither of us were neither of us are like the big wes anderson film buffs where we mm -hmm. sort of know all the intent and maybe like the symbolism behind all these things but yeah i have to agree with you i was hoping for like a little bit more with that as well Mm -hmm. I said anticlimactic. <laughs> that's like what my note says. So like I'm guessing that's what I was referring to. Yeah. Did I say anti? I maybe didn't use that term. No, you didn't say that's that. Perfect. But that's what I kind of put in here. But I think that's just potentially his vibe or like the the vibe of the, this movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I didn't feel let down by the film. By any no. Way. No. No. Yeah. Um. But that is an appropriate, perhaps. Uh, description and I think there's a certain audience that Wes Anderson plays to that you know the sort of um, disenchanted crowd shall we say uh, adults who are who've kind of lost their youthful jus de vivre uh, and uh, I'm, I, I totally said that weird but uh, joie de vivre uh, and uh, the yeah, but the way that Wes Anderson is maybe able to access and inject a certain amount of whimsy into the lives of of um, viewers who are maybe a bit more on the cynical side. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's why he maybe has the revered reputation that he does especially among kind of film snobs, <laughs> not, you know, not, nothing against film snobs, just like the, sort of that um, literati, that, you know, the, the ascot wearing. It's abstract, like they needed to be like, yeah, less in your face, but there's so many scenes, like you said, that do make the movie great. Like any scene for me that had like the three little girls in it, I thought was great. Like they're dealing with the loss of their mother throughout the movie and her ashes and their grandpa kind of coming back into their life. And then there's also this group of kids out there in Asteroid City who are like little geniuses. And when there's scenes about with the kids like going to school and learning about space after seeing an alien, there's lots of really charming moments within it. In fact, I liked almost every character's storyline. I thought there was a lot of them, but I liked, um, like the movie star and her daughter and their dynamic. And then the father with his Woodrow son and these three girls and the 
um, Steve Carell character running his like hotel, his hotel, you know, there's a lot of things going for this movie that are awesome. It's just like the overall feeling of like, mm-hmm. I don't like to say like too cool for school, but like they don't want to give into anything like too maybe mm-hmm. expected. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. To, you know, um, saccharine or prepackaged. I mean, Wes Anderson does have kind of a formula to his style, um, but it's still sort of a fresh, um, unpredictable style compared to a lot of mainstream blockbuster filmmaking. But do you know what it reminded me of that was kind of mainstream? Did you ever see the movie Nope, where they are discovering um, like a UFO or an alien and they're out in the desert farm ranch? And this storyline kind of reminded me of that. But if someone got a similar script and just took it in the complete 180 direction, like what would people do, you know, if they came across this like alien life form or whatever, they they kind of rang true to each other. And like this Wes Anderson, when I also got like Twilight Zone vibes, do you remember that show from like, it might've been like the seventies, the black and white Twilight oh. Zone with the well, narrators. He's a... Mm-hmm. Uh... Yeah, Brian Cranston's totally doing a Rod Serling impression here. Yeah, yep, exactly. Um, so there's main extreme things that kind of tap into it there. Well, the, both of those things were very, um, I don't know, was, they they were mainstream, I guess, in their cultural penetration. But stylistically, they were very avant-garde. Um, you know, Jordan Peele is is still very much uh, an auteur-style filmmaker. He he injects. I mean, that that um, all three of his films, um, beginning with Get Out and then Us, you know, and then Nope. Like they they've all been wide release films, but have um just been also very um very much his own uh unique perspective um you know have you seen all three of those i have and i think nope was my favorite one but you're right again all very indie yeah they they play to a certain audience just kind of like oh man who's the guy who did the movie old and hereditary Um, yeah another example m night has, yeah he has a very like specific vibe but yeah yeah i was just trying to cling to things that this could have sort of reminded me of throughout no it's it's a great parallel uh wes anderson m night Shyamalan, um jordan peele just uh creators with very much their own house style uh so yeah and, and a very apt comparison um and then Wes Anderson just maybe uh, a little less um obviously you know or you know he's kind of um deliberately not trying to cater to the mainstream yeah it's like the ascot wearing pipe smoking uh, sort of uh in intellectual crowd that he's courting more so um and uh and so i have a certain appreciation for that but yeah maybe some of the um emotional punch is is only felt if you're really kind of primed for it and i i do think that certain 
a certain subtlety in your approach does lend itself to accessing kind of a, a more um, almost raw and um, uh, di difficult to access maybe part of the human psyche than, than maybe a more saccharine or, or more blatantly kind of you know, Pixar-esque um, sure. approach to, to emotional content. Does that make And kind of like, yeah, I mean, like sort of, I don't know if I'm exactly picking that up, but like kind of stripping it down to something just very overly simply stated, direct, like thing mm -hmm. instead of like, yeah, I get what you're saying. And this like is why- this is yeah. why my notes just are a mess because I'm not used to having to sort of think like that. And that's probably why some of these people, the the fans of his work like it so much because you can kind of leave and talk through as much as you'd want because there's a lot that's left unsaid. So you can kind of keep on digging down, 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 you know, yeah. like one quote I wrote down was like, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep, that was something that they kind of sort of kept repeating for all. You can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. You can't wake up <laughs> if you don't fall asleep. And I like wrote down, I was like, what does this even mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not always the deepest deep. And I was like, okay, like, I think what he, he's like, they were trying to say is like, and this is probably the good thing about these movies. It makes you sort of think is like, okay, we have to like let ourselves dream, sort of let us fall into a story, like whether it's a movie or a play or a book, you you have to let yourself dream. And mm. I don't know, like, I don't know. There, There's a lot of like moments in the movie that I wish I was a deeper thinker or maybe like a more a tasteful like viewer so I could understand it even better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I let let the movie come to you in a way. I, like how um, Augie and, and his actor um, it was... Uh, Jones Hall is the the actor uh, character played by Jason Schwartzman. You know they they merge together, and it's kind of from the two separate um, perspectives. Um, you, yeah, you have to let the movie kind of come to you in its messaging. Um, and, you know the the you know something like uh, you know more mainstream um film you know pixar disney um you know it's like weapons grade sentimentality and this you know is is sort of you know it, it has that that same level of pathos in its text with you know the, the kinds of situations these characters are dealing with but but certainly doesn't um evoke that um on its surface uh, quite as much and and yeah if you just but if you sit with it more as a willing participant um that's that's how it is able to have its maximum impact do you feel like that being that you watched it once and kind of let it soak in and watched it again that you as time passed you we're able to soak in more of the movie itself. Like this can't really yes. be a one and done type thing because maybe that might've been my mistake there is I kind of just watched it to watch 
write down the themes, but maybe something like this, you do let you let marinate a little bit more in your brain. Yeah, the, the grill moment hit me a lot harder uh, the second time I saw it. And I, it didn't make me like teary. I, I just I laughed really hard when it happens because it's like, uh, of course, you know, this character is just so tortured. He just needs some something to vent everything that's going on. It's like, I, I you know, you obviously know that it's coming. But it's just it's it's satisfying when it happens uh, because it's it's just like you know so cathartic um, you know it's it's um, it's just so natural um, but you know normally you would never consider maybe this it's a bad influence because now if I'm feeling particularly uh, pressed about something uh, i'm gonna want to go and touch a bring yourself back to reality by like pain yeah i don't know if that's probably the route to go but but yeah i don't know whatever it's it's a uh, it's effective work of art um just on on so many different levels um and and yeah people appreciate you know it for not being overly pandering i'm sure but like i don't know maybe it's seen as pandering by some as well just because of how um <laughs> how uh eccentric it is um <laughs> uh, i i because yeah i told you in the chat like i'm a total wes anderson agnostic i don't particularly love his films i don't dislike them either um like i i haven't gone out you know, and rush to catch up on all of his films, even though I've seen a handful. Because, um, yeah, there's... I'm not even sure when this one came out. This yeah, this was a summer. You know, yeah, like May, I think. Uh, was that can uh, May 16th through 27th of this year. And it it uh, was nominated for Palme d'Or. Um, release day was june 16th okay so uh yeah, so, yeah I guess, just throw up first in line to watch it it technically got a wide release on june 23rd but um it wasn't here initially where where i live <laughs> in the boondocks um but eventually got here so that makes sense yeah I, I well and and this movie kind of pokes at the the futility of existentialism uh, and, and all of um, Wes Anderson's films are inherently existential. Uh, you know, it's just kind of his his style to be just very contemplative and I don't know, <laughs> the and and I guess pondering profound ideas, whilst not necessarily you know pushing any profound conclusions, just just yeah allowing the the viewer to kind of marinate and ruminate mm -hmm. uh, ask the question you know what is the meaning and yeah some of the things i really i don't know if you're like a stephen sondheim fan but he has a musical called sunday in the park with george mm -hmm. and it's about a painter but half of the musical is the painting like happening within the painting he's creating okay and I, I always think that stuff is really interesting because I I feel like it's an opportunity. It's probably cathartic for 
a creator like Wes Anderson or Stephen Sondheim to make, make something like this where, you know, their whole life has been creation and then you kind of go like, but for what? So like throughout it, they can ask that kind of question and have those little crises um, through their characters or through their painting. Um, and you don't, like you said, you don't really come out with some fulfilled answer at the end, like, oh, the meaning of life is love or <laughs> something like cute with a little bow like that. But you you get little senses of that, you know, th throughout of of what the meaning yeah. of creation is and the meaning of life. Uh, kind of secondary protagonist in this film is Jake Ryan as Woodrow, son of Augie Woodrow Steenbeck. You know, any sort of, this youth character and has a few <laughs> contemplations on the meaning of life, and he's, he's you a know, late boomer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, according to his parents, says he doesn't believe in God. His mom's Episcopalian, his dad's Jewish. So I don't know. It's. Uh, <laughs> He's, he's sort of a mutt <laughs> trying to find his way, but but very smart. He, his nickname is Brainiac. Yeah, I love him. I thought he yeah. was great. And he's experiencing, you know, throughout the, the colored play, just like things in the youth because they're, they're out in the desert to win this type of award because he's so smart and he's surrounded by these other smart kids. And he develops a crush and he has these peers that he's interacting with. And again, it just, like I said, like when I watched the scenes with the kids or, or really anyone, their storylines themselves are all so good. I thought that despite each character not getting a ton of screen time aside from the main, main leads, you mm -hmm. felt like there was a good character behind each person that came on the screen. Woodrow mm -hmm. included and his little girlfriend. I can't remember her name, but I'm going to uh, call her Dinah? Dinah? Yeah. Was that it? Uh, the, the daughter yeah. of Midge. Oh, this Mm -hmm, which is Scarlett Johansson but what did she say I thought it was really great man I should have written it down but her mother's not interested in in stars but she's into stardom and then she says something else just lots of little witty moments that came out that I didn't put to memory but made this movie go pretty quick for me I don't know how long it actually was but I don't know I kind of got lost in a little bit that's the part I immediately thought of. It's not that long. It's hour 45 minutes uh, streaming on Peacock currently. It's, uh, yeah, she, Grace, or uh, yeah, Grace Edwards, the young actress who plays Dinah, refers to her mom and, and star. Uh, uh, the, the arts of becoming a star is her, her mother's job. Uh, not quite related to astrophysics, but, um, you know, using similar terminology. <laughs> Uh, and she loves her mom. She admits mm -hmm. that she's not a great mom, but, uh, you know, loves her voice, wishes she would do more radio, more. Uh, yes, <laughs> I love that, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think she says something else. I'm sick of her face. Yeah. But she has a great voice. So I wish she'd do more radio. Okay. Of course, it's Scarlett Johansson who has a beautiful face and should be everywhere, you know, but. That backhanded. Then... <laughs> yeah. It's a quick one for a kid too, but they're all, all these little kids are geniuses. And so like, as the story goes along and they see the alien, how they're all coping with it and how they're all kind of coming to terms with life outside of the life we know. And, and the adults basically just quarantining everyone and that was their response. And then don't talk about it. The adults like plan was don't talk about it for 150 years and then lock everyone into a room and make sure that they don't repeat it. 
And I was like, and then the kids are so excited to talk about it in their little classroom. They want to, when the, the, oh, I, sorry, I'm skipping back, but they, there's a little teacher scene where she has her classroom. She's trying to keep some type of sense. Skipping around, order. by the way, I'm the, I'm the one who started oh. it. <laughs> yeah, but she's, you know, she's trying to keep their team, keep the order, do their little classroom studies. And she's trying to talk about, you know, Neptune and Pluto. Okay, we know we have nine planets, but these kids are like, mm. we saw an alien, like that's what we got to be talking about. And the adults are sort of like, let's just, <laughs> keep on chugging along and you know maybe we can just forget this whole alien thing but wasn't in the lesson plan i yeah, yeah. Wasn't in the lesson plan and that cowboy who comes out what does he say he's a cool guy he's like oh, oh america hasn't lost a war yet but if you know the alien does want to come to us i don't know great characters i reckon he's uh you know perhaps a friendly character and just off on his own adventure i don't know <laughs> so, that's a perfect thing to not, say to a kid who's curious about an alien i was like what a great response you yeah, know yeah he, he stole a show whenever he was on screen yes, rupert, rupert friend as montana there's a musical number later on with the kid singer he was just a total hoot that uh that kid who did the song mm -hmm. <laughs> really had the style down um Gosh, yeah, Maya Hawk was the teacher. Um, not prepared for, to talk about aliens because it's not in her lesson plan. Uh, gosh, if I were a teacher, obviously you need a, a lesson plan, but I I have such a hard time sticking to something like that. You know, taking notes, taking making designated plans, and I'm much more of a fly by the seat of my pants type of person. Um, I could probably fake it till I made it just kind of doing that uh if i if i had to well depending on the subject <laughs> i i want to be a little bit more type a if i could work that into my personality if i could be a little bit more of a planner but mm. in my gut in my heart i'm like you i mean as long as i can get it done and it, something gets done then it's done i i'm not an abc follower mm. but i do love that quality in other people and i i loved that teacher i put a little heart i said classroom teacher heart because I just thought she was great and towards the end you skip to Margot Robbie she has that very small scene out on the windowsill where she's talking to Augie and I think what she was referencing was that she was supposed to have a scene in the play she was supposed to interact with Augie to some point but they end up cutting it from her and was she meant to be his wife and the mother of the children and that was cut mm -hmm. yeah um and that was a sentimental little part there that they go through together um yeah gosh, they, you briefly see her in a photograph that um was it woodrow who shows dinah i think the photo or was it augie showing i you know all the details are a little foggy still for me with this it's just there's so much happening in this movie at once it's uh it gets uh, a little cluttered <laughs> but but you do see because i i remember seeing margot robbie in the credits during the pre-roll i was like oh she's in this too <laughs> she she was a busy gal this summer uh but uh yeah she's she's in a photograph uh, which i thought was that all the extent of her appearance in this film but no and she shows up at the end as an actress whose role was cut out of the play in its final form. Um, but yeah, she remembers some of the, um, the read throughs that she did 
with the cast where she portrayed um, Augie's late wife. And yeah, those were some um, anything involving the mom's character. You know, she had certain um, commentary on the alien itself. Um, I, I think the scene that was cut is Augie talking to like the ghost of his dead wife. And she's making remarks, yeah, about, you know, Woodrow being a late bloomer and also the, you know, saying the alien is shy and I don't know, things like that. Uh, I don't know. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, yeah. That is sort of like the line she was going and she was kind of, she was being, you know, gentle with Augie, I feel like, and sort of like guiding him. And I felt like for him, that was like a good moment because he, at the beginning of the movie you come to find he was sort of planning on not abandoning his children but sort of like passing them along for a minute to the grandfather i think yeah. and sort of as he goes through this quarantine journey whether it was that or talk or talking to the lady through the window about her deleted scene he kind of comes to the realization that he like isn't going to do that and i think that talk was also sort of leading him to that i would hope um but he's going to stick with his kids. I feel for yeah. throughout this. I kind of wanted to give him a hug throughout certain parts. He's, he's able to progress and evolve as a person uh, much more effectively when he's not, you know, stopping the play in his tracks and wondering, am I doing this right? This doesn't necessarily feel right. How am I, you know, <laughs> how is this reading? But but I think the trick is to not do that. Isn't that true life though? I mean, that's so real to like, I'll catch myself, you know, every now and then, especially around like my own birthday or whatever, where you, am I doing this right? Like, am I, am I living it right? And you do wish that sometimes you'd have a director who could confirm like, yep, like how you're doing it is how we want it done. And even though us as the actors or as the humans, like we don't always, we don't even know like, what we're doing or what the end goal is but it is reassuring to have someone say how you did it mm. that's it you know don't you wish you could have that sometimes? oh yeah no it's it, that's that's always yeah and inevitably like we're gonna uh want feedback in life um you know just as long as we don't become dependent on that for for everything you know depending on the dependent on the affirmation in order to you know keep marching along but yeah hopefully uh you know we have someone in our life to you know and and if you are you know type of person who has a family has a spouse um you're always going to have those voices um you know hopefully you know your parents provide that as well um i guess uh the, there was a longtime collaborator that Wes Anderson also works with uh, Roman Coppola. I should mention he um, has worked uh, as a co-writer on previous films and a producer for Wes Anderson, who's the the son of Francis Ford Coppola. Jody, you you um, brought up the uh, the Dracula movie recently on on an episode um, from 1992, Francis Ford Coppola film that. Uh, 
I know you you've been kind of wanting to cover on the show, and I I agree that that should be something we talk about on the future. But I thought that was just a random note. <laughs> did they write it together? So yeah, they did. So Wes Anderson also writes. Okay, I didn't know that. I thought I didn't know if he was just the director, but I guess yeah. he's both. He's Lin Manuel Miranda. He's doing it all. Yep, writer. But yeah, the uh, some some cinema royalty uh, contributing to the script mm-hmm. in Roman Coppola uh, and his sister Sophia Coppola's directed several films as well. Um, so a lot, yeah, family connections here with uh, Asteroid City. Um, I know there, there's just a lot <laughs> to, to cover. There's a lot. There's a lot of things. <laughs> I feel with some of my philosophical musings in this episode, it's almost you know, you know, baby's first uh, Wes Anderson movie. Or <laughs> baby's first movie. Well, it. I mean, I think that's the point, right? To kind of dig into it a little bit and sort of see if you can see something that you saw that you didn't know you saw, like we said. And yeah, I agree. It's sort of difficult to speak on something that can have such depth and is a little bit more artistic. Um, but I think a lot of the things we covered well, and it is a movie that, I would think that people would want to see. I I don't think it's bad. I, I disagree with the people who say it's boring. It just is one where when you go into it, you might want to know the overarching vibe, the overarching story and maybe the theme, because that might help you along with it, especially if you're a baby like us. Well, yeah, vibe is a great, um, you know, it's it's a you know popular term to throw around but in this case it's just so distinctive uh, you know with the color palette and you know certainly the um the theatrical aesthetic uh justifies and validates the use of these vivid sort of um what what are they um pastel colors almost this uh, just really sort of yeah, brightly uh, lit, brightly. Everything's kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little almost like the afterlife, maybe in a way where it's it's not necessarily overexposed, but but the, I the thought they high all high values in a postcard, yeah. like a fifties postcard. But yeah, afterlife. Yeah, yeah. almost faded in a way too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah. It, it, there's something about it. it it's shot on kodak film 30 millimeter film um but it looks gorgeous uh, and it, then it's gorgeous painterly and, and the time zone or not the time zone like the setting the time period yeah. is also an interesting one how the women wear their makeup and do their hair and the kids outfits it's just visually great you know, no one could question that part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you get to see like the, the sequences of the train arriving into town, the asteroid city. Um, yeah, and how they, they, I loved this. I was like, this is such a human thing. And it reminded me of Nope. But after the alien has made some type of contact, this asteroid city they start you know selling kind of souvenirs by the road and they're trying to profit off of this little thing for a minute and I was like isn't that just so 
us as mm. humans. You, you know, when they have all those little booths lined up outside the city there. Oh, there being uh, yeah. Party. Yeah, and I was like, that is just exactly how it would be. I wanted to comment on that um, process of leaking the information about the alien. Um, I, I I didn't I totally gather the reasoning for the, the photo getting out. But when the kids are trying to call out on the phone line and mm -hmm. what... They they've done something to manipulate the the telephone wires so that they can tap into it. But they need um someone to put a, a coin in the the telephone booth regardless in order to make, make it call. go live. Yeah. <laughs> and like the kids saying, I you know, he uh like cheated the the phone company out of uh, his uh his total due change or whatever I, he because i guess he's a genius or something he maybe um figure out a way to i don't know get his money back <laughs> yeah yeah uh did the trick where he ties a, a string to the coin or something and made a call and but then he explains to the the guard at the phone booth that um you know he he did something untoward and and wants to pay back that the phone company and so he's there to place another coin in the slot and then the guard just accepts it on face value <laughs> he's like oh there's nothing fishy going on here he's just uh you know making good on uh supporting the industry <laughs> the, the telephone industry that, that obviously needs every cent that it can <laughs> mop up uh, as if it's not already a monopoly. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyways, um, just it, it's just, yeah, the, the jokes it's it's really playing on mundanity. You know, that's kind of his style, you know, Wes Anderson and, and certain, um, uh, I guess uh, there's the certain audience to which it, you know, perhaps most appeals is is people, yeah, who, who maybe, you know, suffer from a little bit of, uh, you know, fatigue and and ennui in life, you know, so, so sort of um, complacent, see your dissatisfaction in a way, dis disaffection with um, youthful pleasures. Um, but still want to recapture a certain um, nostalgia or... Uh, yeah, there is a whimsy about it. Despite yeah, whimsy. not trying to be a whimsical thing, there is that that feeling, especially, I know I said it a million times, especially with the kids, but with the adults too. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you get kind of the contrast of the whim whimsy and the, the cynicism with how kind of dry the dialogue is delivered i feel because the, the like everything is just played so straight um that you know i guess it's whimsical in its own certain way but you know it's not like uh a program on you know pbs kids or something or you know like a disney junior you know the the over 
constantly uh, accentuated dialogue of, come on, kids, let's uh, <laughs> go to the park. Let's play. You know, it's, it's not that kind of whimsical. Um, Just enough whimsy to make sure that we know that he's not taking himself too, too seriously, but also seriously. Yeah. 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 I know. I guess. Uh, yeah. You, you are from very familiar with the sort of adult engaging with a very young audience sort of um, cadence <laughs> and uh, and how that, you know, um, kind of has to be really accentuated and exaggerated um you know went on on a prolonged basis you know with your events that you do <laughs> does mm-hmm. that ever wear because I, I feel like you know one of the sort of things thing that gets kind of cringy to me about interacting with like costume characters at theme parks and stuff is just kind of how forced sounding they sound <laughs> uh they're it's- yeah. It's difficult. I go through phases where I can sort of let myself fall into that, you know, the fun of it. But mm-hmm. then when I'm out of it, it's, in- it's incredibly difficult because it feels, I don't know, like I wish I had Peter Pan syndrome because I, I, I know it should be fun and light, but it feels just off and wrong i don't know if, if you ever saw the movie escape from disneyland oh okay es- escape from tomorrow i think oh, yes yeah, i apologize yeah that one maybe came out 10 years ago now but no five years ago but yeah it, it's a mix and i think it's a mix for everyone when it comes to yeah. finding something that is not quote-unquote adult but still like wanting to yeah yeah the it the arch uh you know kids speak adult trying to do kids speak and then i i guess uh a person who who mastered it and did it well was like steve in blues clues um you know one looks back at him fondly but but he was doing the whole you know hey kids uh you know blues where blues gone too we can too (laughs) and you know he's kind of cycled back into the culture of checking in with the quote unquote kids. I don't know if you saw this. It was kind of like a phenomenon for oh, a second. That viral he, video. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of, you know, 10 years later, he's like, hey, everyone, it's me, Steve. Y'all doing okay? I think oh. it was during COVID. He did like a little check in. And I thought that was great. And now he has sort of stepped a little bit back into that character of, I don't know if he was meant to be sort of like a big brother or a pal or just this guy that you, you know, he breaks that fourth wall and invites you in on the adventure, but he sort of brought it back a little bit, which for our generation, I feel like we really love that. We really soak that in. And yeah, that's a really good example of holding was- on to the women, but he's also brought it to reality for us too i don't know how to explain it <laughs> well, the, the fact that he made that return you know like a sort of a triumphant return in a way it's it's almost uh biblical <laughs> it was it was a pretty big deal it was a very viral moment and actually i think it gave a lot of people in that minute oh it, it like, made me weepy hope. yeah 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 like hey there's this quote-unquote character Mm-hmm. that cares about me and yeah that was really then he was suddenly gone 
that was the weird thing. Like he he, he talks about wasn't that kind of weird how I just kind of disappeared and never came back. You know, yeah, he's probably that. hard for you. Yeah, and the the fact that he acknowledges that um, just really hit me. You know, even though I wasn't particularly invested in Blue's Clues as a you know, and but we all knew his face, and we all yeah. knew the story of this guy who helped us figure things out as kids. And yeah, what a nice thing that was. Mm -hmm. So great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, what else can we? get at um so so yeah i mean i i don't know the the whole diagnosing wes anderson wes anderson's style uh i'm not here to psychoanalyze him himself like i wonder you know it, i do kind of wonder if he might be not necessarily totally on the neurotypical spectrum but you know who who's to say he's very prolific um so it could be perfectly normal i'm i don't recall seeing interviews or anything if he comes off as kind of strange no i haven't i honestly wouldn't recognize him on the street but like i was comparing earlier him to that stephen sondheim musical that came out i wouldn't be surprised or if nothing else just a very introspective human even if his brain is all quote-unquote typical somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about art i just think that your brain gets wired a little bit more unique yeah he, he kind of dresses eccentric you know wears uh light colored suits and uh, but I, I don't know um kind of has a slightly asymmetrical smile in a way uh, uh but i think his vibe is very much like uh, long you know longtime collaborator um Owen Wilson and the Wilson brother, you know, Luke Wilson, like they've worked together on a number of things. Jason Schwartzman has been in a bunch of, you know, you know, that's he's a staple of Wes Anderson films. Uh, this is like the first time Bill Murray hasn't been in a uh, uh, Wes Anderson film since like one of his early films. Um, so uh, let's see. Bill Murray was originally cast in Steve Carell's role, uh, but oh. contracted COVID before filming. Oh. Um, it was. Let's see. So is this the first time um, Bill Murray? Oh, okay. First film not to feature Bill Murray since his first film, Bottle Rocket, in 1996. So, so I, I, but I think like if you want to get a. Well, Bill Murray, I, I think, yeah, if you want to get a sense of Wes Anderson's personal personality, uh, you can just kind of look at his most frequent collaborators, uh, the Wilsons, Bill Murray, just a kind of a whimsical sort of detached, um, you know, air about him, maybe, um, but personable, you know, Bill Murray. I think there there are people who have like really good experiences interacting with him and people with really bad ex experience. So I'm guessing Wes Anderson, for the most part, it would just be the positive uh, personality traits that, you know, would be reflected for the most part. Um, but I, like Owen Wilson seems like a cool dude to me, just like he, he seems like he'd be a good hang. <laughs> yeah, let's invite him on next week but no i agree <laughs> um 
just as an example and, and you know luke wilson you you talk about uh, you, you see fired on mars we did yeah you, you know what episode? i didn't continue with the series but the episodes i liked i really lo- like the episodes i watched i liked yeah we did a short viewing of maybe like i think four or five of the first episodes was yeah, he part I- of that project uh, Luke Wilson was the voice of yeah the main main character. Oh whoops, um, forgot. Yeah, who who was on that episode with me? I thought Bridget did that for sure. I but... think it was Bridget and I. Mm-hmm, I okay. And as well. There we go. Or if I wasn't on the episode, I definitely watched it with the intention of being on the episode because it was one that had it it hadn't crossed my field of vision before you mentioned it. And now I now I'm kind of tempted to go back and see where that goes that series oh yeah 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 it's fun i I no idea if it will get a second season but um it was very fun yeah jeff luke wilson plays jeff and yeah just kind of like an every man um yeah (laughs) but well yeah we'll we'll start wrapping up here uh this is really fun you get to see a, a mushroom cloud once again, second film in a row. <laughs> yes, it's. A, I was like, oh, they took that one out of Oppenheimer's book to, you know, but yeah, some explosions out there. And again, in the desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nuclear testing. Yep, you, Jody, Bridget, and Philip on the Fired on Mars episode. No, oh, <laughs> just playing it in the middle of the show. Um, yeah, so uh what was i gonna say the um film i was trying to recall when bringing up the train reaction that would lead to total atmospheric um eruption or uh ignition that that was a, a premise discussed in the movie tenet i believe and i i failed to recall that during our Oppenheimer episode um so um that that was one of the I guess threats facing humanity in the course of the movie Tenet was uh, this device uh, okay and that's one I haven't seen either yeah I'm trying to remember the name of that weapon of mass destruction that they're having to fight i think yeah they're they just call it the algorithm or the algorithm is the machine that has the ability to reverse the arrow of time but was that the name of the what was that related to the uh, apocalypse device that they had um what was the device in tenet just it's saying the algorithm there was that like bone shaped device that uh okay i guess is a a doomsday device that will reverse the entropy of the entire planet okay okay so that's not exactly the same as the nuclear ignition of the of the atmosphere um that's sort of like if <laughs> the the thing it, that's it's such a weird movie, Tenet, but it, it's just basically what if a person's entropy were reversed so that they moved backwards through time rather than forwards, and and what if there was a device that could do that, um, and then if so it Benjamin that, Button, yeah, basically, 
but but then you'd also have to like be breathing in reverse. So that's why they have to wear masks once they go through this device and are, are now going backwards through time. Like everything gets kind of a little bit off kilter if you if you reverse your entropy. <laughs> um, and it's so weird because it's like, well, what is cause and effect then if you're experiencing the effect before the cause what is the cause are our cause and effect like not as conditional as we think they are is it perhaps that the effect is almost as conditional on the cause as the cause is on the effect it, it's it's kind of trippy it's like you know we think that you know if we uh, punch something, you know, it, we might hurt our fist, you know, if, if we punch, right. the wall. but, but what if like, you know, the, the impact of the wall, you know, is just as much a player in that whole interaction as our decision and our thought to, to make, you know, to actually punch, I don't know, like, like, what if we start feeling the pain of that um punch you know, punch like well, well before we even yeah i don't know i'm gonna have to watch it because it's hard to understand yeah and then and then like where does that line of prediction or predestination or whatever where does that where does that stop do you know what i mean yeah mm -hmm. if you're living in a reverse interesting yeah no i I, I didn't even know that was the plot line. <laughs> there, there's a lot of leeway, you know, that you can take from some of these um, propositions um, that aren't necessarily, you know, cut and dry. Um, but the, the the key is to realize that there is some, you know, overlap, I guess, when it comes to the the relationship between past and present not everything is necessarily moving in a perfectly linear fashion and that sometimes you know the 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 present is perhaps uh <laughs> feeling certain properties of you know an inevitable future as as the future is conditional upon the present it's it's really yeah i there's certain scientific um concepts that that, that are called um upon to flesh out these um fantastical propositions and it, it's it's really trippy yeah kind of is giving me the feeling of um not interstellar um inception i know it's not the same thing yeah. but where you have to kind of think like two jumps ahead two two levels of dreams forward or something back again so yeah that yeah. might be an interesting one to talk about someday yeah yeah you kind of have to remove yourself a little bit from from the equation um before you start thinking about it too deeply um well sorry apologies <laughs> it's uh but but yeah, there's a lot of things like that that you can kind of deduce scientifically that just don't make a whole lot of sense rationally uh yeah wes anderson um asteroid city <laughs> yeah wes anderson uh, you're like how do i streamline <laughs> it, 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 no it was well, good it was 
it. Well, it his good. movies, yeah, they're not meant to play on a purely literal textual le- level. You're supposed to appreciate that. You're supposed to, yeah, marinate. Um, you know, let them kind of steep a little bit. I guess it, you know, it clearly looks like a person who appreciates a nice warm cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And a, a um a pipe. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, a nice corn cob pipe or maybe a a, a cigar or some. Uh, you know, our adult beverages, um, and yeah, sit back and and take in the uh, sort of pastel colors and fifties uh, style uh, architecture of the uh, the film um, Asteroid City. The Thoughtcast conversations about animation. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Jody, for joining. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off here? No, I mean, this one, like I said, I maybe should have waited a week or two more to let it sit on me, but I'm happy we got to go through it. I honestly feel like I understand it better and I got out all I needed to get out with my, my thoughts, my thoughts about the thoughts, my thought thoughts. Yeah. The thought, thought, yeah. Um, just got a new logo. My sister I love hired it. her to, yeah. Um, so I, I got to do a bunch of stuff with that. Um, and I don't know, uh, hopefully figure out a way to kind of run this machine a bit more efficiently. Uh, you're doing great with consistency. Forget about passion. Like if you can just stick to something, which you have for years with this one, hundreds, billions of episodes. Yeah. The consistency you got, it just can't be every week because sometimes you gotta, gotta think about the movie in between. Well, I should do it every week. Um, I just, yeah, I, I struggle with uh, maintaining, uh, I guess, enthusiasm for any one thing in particular. That I'm I'm a total scatterbrain when it comes to anything at all. Um, kind of the only thing that I care about on a consistent basis uh, as of right now is Formula One and Star Wars. And even Star Wars is kind of like, yeah, it's more of a passive indulgence. Oh, I, I won't. <laughs> don't tell them that. You've been a fan for decades. You don't want to, <laughs> don't tell them that you're, you're fading out now. No, I'm, I'm in no danger of uh, dropping my Disney Plus subscription. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm staying on top of Ahsoka. Uh, then maybe the, the final question of the day is is that formula race is that happening out in las vegas in like february or something are you going to find your way out there yeah no, november december or november it's, maybe towards yeah. the end of the season and i uh yeah no way I'm, I'm getting out there this year for that but you know maybe in the future Bucket list yeah um well uh i know there's plenty of other things i maybe wanted to um to bring up during this episode but that's okay i i think we kind of um oh yeah like with fired on mars you know it's a lot of streaming stuff that that gets really um tricky with the way stuff is getting dropped by streaming services nowadays and treated kind of disp- disposably um you know even like um well haunted mansion that got a uh your release in the- a theatrical release yeah. so you know that's kind of safe from being lost to time through that and that it was a movie that cost like 150 million dollars it's only made 100 million dollars worldwide um so yeah lo- just very inconsistent world in the realm of uh, mainstream entertainment nowadays but like some some recent announcements regarding like disney plus series that have just been kind of scrapped 
It was like a Spiderwick Chronicles thing with um, Chris, uh, what's his, Christian Slater. And some of these projects have big, well, not always big, but like really strong fan bases that were really looking forward to these things coming out. So I always feel for them. I've never had something I'm super excited about get scrapped before, but I can't imagine being part of a fandom, getting my hopes up for this and then finding out like the budget just didn't allow or the time didn't allow or the writer's strike didn't allow or, you know, all of everything's kind of in flux, you know? Yeah. Now there's a, a big new series, one piece on Netflix. And I, that seems to be doing pretty well. I haven't seen that yet. Is it animated? It's based on a Japanese anime, but it is live action, but it was expensive. The, Overall budget was $138 million, approximately. A series? Yeah, the series, uh, six, eight episodes? Eight episodes, $17.27 million per episode. So, yeah, high production value. Um, that, that would be a similar model to how, like, an Avatar The Last Airbender live action series would be rolled out. Or like Chronicles of Narnia, they're kind of oh yeah, I've heard whispers about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Greta Gerwig um, reportedly tied to that. Um, so uh, yeah, just uh, it's a it's a wild world out there, but we get you know a, a creator like Wes Anderson who's able to keep the trains running on time, literally <laughs> with his films and his his release schedule. So sort of a, a reassuring thing uh yeah this movie was kind of just like a, a warm a bit of a warm blanket like a warm cup of tea it's very, it very comforting to watch i thought so that was yeah warm. yeah positive I feel like this is good for me i think to throw into the mix because it's not like everything else like you said it it's unique it's it's a warm blanket but it's not a palate cleanser but sort of makes you slow down your viewing a little bit and try to mm-hmm. comprehend a little more mm-hmm. incredible by the way like i i'm not someone who necessarily fawns over tom hanks he's got a lot of serious fans and again he is like like america's dad and everything but but this performance really stood out to me <laughs> he really killed it i thought in this uh this grand, grandpa role I don't know if, what you thought. He he had certain a, a certain gruff edge. That... He seemed like a real rich type. Like he was the character. I thought yeah. anytime he had a scene, my eyes were on him. Whether he's holding his little martini glass or he's kind of like flirting with Midge, you know. Yeah, I liked that character a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy that grabbed my eye, but he wasn't really a big player in it all, was the Green Goblin was in there. Oh yeah, well, he... what's his name? Right there? I was um, like, the Willem. Goblin. <laughs> Willem the... Yeah, I mean, he is kind of an eyeball magnet, no matter yeah, what. <laughs> his face is so unique, but but yeah, Tom Hanks was great. Um, but like I said, I think everyone is great in this in this movie. All right, well, cool. It, it's certainly a movie that might not be for everybody, but uh, I'm glad you're willing to talk about it, Jody. Thank, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, any last words before we sign off? Uh, anything to to plug or promote um no no nothing to plug but catch us next time and and maybe we'll be back into some animated stuff then because we've done a couple live things thank you so much for for doing this and 
yeah we'll uh we'll be back once again on the podcast conversations about animation this is philip elke for jody pulaski and uh yeah let's uh you know try to get back on the the routine maybe with the uh you know the new the change of season um mm -hmm. so lots to talk about um thank you so much for listening have a magical day uh have a wonderful week warm hugs mm -hmm.